It's Law Talk with BJ, the podcast where trial attorney and legal commentator BJ Bernstein and her guests discuss the latest issues from around the legal world. BJ is a frequent commentator on television and radio. She's unique in that she not only comments on legal issues, having been lead counsel on numerous high-profile cases of national interest, but her relatable personal style allows the viewer to understand the law behind the headlines and why it's important. Now, here's your host, B.J. Bernstein. Welcome to Law Talk with B.J. If it seems like deja vu on the topic, it is. We're talking election litigation here again in Georgia. Why? Because although Election Day has come and gone, no one has been officially declared a winner in the gubernatorial race in Georgia or some other issues that are held up because of the election litigation that continues. Um, as you'll recall, just before voting time, there was a number of lawsuits that we covered and concerns in Georgia about whether this was going to be a fair election in which everyone's vote is counted. And now, with a lot of issues that we're about to talk about, we have, as of now, the one candidate, Brian Kemp, believing that he has won. He has resigned as Secretary of State, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And yet, Stacey Abrams, the opponent who is the Democrat running for Georgia's governor, has filed lawsuits after the election, indicating problems with this election. I want to quote some things, some law, and give you some law before you start talking about it. And some reminders of things that have come from the United States Supreme Court. The right to vote freely for the candidate of one's choice is of the essence of a democratic society. And any restrictions on that right strike at the heart of a representative government. Reynolds versus Sims, United States Supreme Court, 1964. No right is more precious in a free country than that of having a voice of the electorate of those who make the laws. Other rights, even the most basic, are illusory if the right to vote is undermined. Westbury versus Sanders, 1964, U.S. Supreme Court. The right to vote includes, quote, the right of qualified voters within the state to cast their ballots and have them counted. United States versus Classic, U.S. Supreme Court, 1941. Those are some quotes from the latest lawsuit filed by the Abrams campaign, but those are not quotes that they've made up. That is what the U.S. Supreme Court has said about the importance of our right to vote. And I can say in my almost 55 years on earth, we're getting really close this week, I can't remember a time where I ever believed that my vote would not count, that um you know, I was born in the early 60s, so some of when this case law was happening was when I was a child and made it settled that votes would count. And yet here we are really wondering, is there something underway restricting our right to vote and intentionally causing votes that are cast not to be counted? My guest again, Harold Franklin, who is on the last episode, he is a partner at King and Spalding, and he is chair of election protection at Georgia. And he and I are going to have a conversation about what is going on. If 
um, what is happening in the Georgia race. And even if you don't reside in Georgia, same thing can happen anywhere in the country. In fact, there may be some places that are also struggling with this around the country that hasn't gotten as much coverage. You know, what makes Georgia unique, of course, is that one of the candidates running for office as governor is the official in Georgia who is in charge of elections. And um, I think <laughs> there's going to be a lot of talk and thought about whether that, you know, can happen again. But first, I want to welcome Harold. Harold, welcome to Law Talk with BJ. Time number two. Thank you, BJ. Good morning. Good to be back with you. Yeah, good and not good because of because because of what we have to talk about. Um, That's right. And you know, this is as close as I can get to being in real time with a podcast, which is since the election last week, and there's the litigation that we were talking about on the last episode of the podcast that Election Protection and others have been involved in, and we'll talk about what the courts did with that. But as of this taping on this Veterans Day. There is more litigation. The Abrams campaign itself has filed a lawsuit in the United States District Court, Northern District of Georgia, attacking and wanting a complaint for declaratory and injunctive relief. And under the law, injunctive relief is needing an injunction, needing immediate order to stop the wrongdoing that is alleged by them. Also overnight, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under the law and some other groups here in Georgia has also filed another lawsuit in federal court seeking an, also a temporary restraining order. And what that's trying to do is to make sure that the absentee ballots that were cast across the state of Georgia are held and not discarded. You know, because typically you you vote, they tally it, and they get rid of all of that. But with so much litigation on, there's a uh, real fear that, you know, that you may win the battle perhaps in court, but if those votes are not held and, and kept in a form such that they can be properly counted, you know, what's it all for? So that's where we are starting this morning. So Harold, first, if you can catch our listeners up, they may have caught it in the news or not, about the work and the cases that were in front of the federal court last week prior to our election. So BJ, last time we talked about election protection, and I'd, I'd like to stress again that this initiative is really uh, incredibly comprehensive. It's nationwide, and we are certainly very active here in Georgia. We've had to be. Um, we, uh, it is our only goal to make sure that every eligible voter is able to vote and to have their vote counted. And we have been quite busy in Georgia trying to ensure that. And it has been very disappointing to see a lot of the things that have happened. And we talked before that Georgia is has been described as the epicenter of voter suppression. And I think with all that we have seen in real time here in Georgia and in the news that uh, it's unfortunate that so many voters, thousands and thousands of voters have been affected in ways beyond their control. And we have done all we could to try to help, uh, along with many others, to try to prevent disenfranchisement. You know, before uh, last time, there were some very favorable orders that had come down at the federal courts here in the Northern District that required, uh, one, that voters be allowed who were on this pending list through this exact match system that we talked about before 
You'll recall that that system is one in which it was put in place by the Secretary of State's office uh, before it was challenged. And then in 2017, the legislature put it in place as well, and it affected thousands and thousands of voters. In fact, more than 50,000, 53,000 or more. And the vast majority of them were minorities and African-American in particular. And so you had that issue. There was a court order that said that those affected voters uh, are to be allowed to vote a regular ballot on Election Day if they showed up with the proper identification. And when you say regular ballot, that's not a what the, in contrast, the provisional ballot, which is part of what some of these lawsuits are about now, which is, you know, a provisional ballot kind of already says, hey, you got to look at this more carefully to make sure, in fact, this person can vote. So you did the right th- that, that, the that, right thing at the beginning right. where you were trying to make sure that it's just a regular ballot. You, right. you went to court. Um, but then that leaves trying to avoid this provisional ballot situation for many voters. That's exactly the point, BJ. A provisional ballot is one that will not count unless the voter comes back and cures whatever the alleged defect is within three days. So, for example, if I voted a provisional ballot on Tuesday, then I have until Friday to come in and to provide whatever was missing in order for it to count. So if you vote a provisional, and many, many Georgians did, in fact, thousands, unless they came back to cure the alleged defect, their vote did not count. And so that's that's the point. And so the order provided that that those voters, if they provided the proper identification, should be allowed to vote a regular ballot so that they are done on Tuesday. There's nothing more they need to do in order to ensure that their vote counts. Uh, That was one of the orders. There was another order involving a process by which absentee ballots were being discarded uh, because uh, it was claimed that the signatures on the envelope or on the absentee ballot did not match what was on the voter registration card, if you will. And so that is incredibly subjective, you know, this eyeball test, being able to discard those votes, those ballots. And so there was an order that required that before that happened, before they were discarded, that the voters were entitled to be notified so that they could come in and resolve the issue and their vote would be counted. That was an order. And, uh, and and that's interesting, too, because, you know, if you think about it, you, I mean, you do have to show an I, something, an ID when you go to vote. So here's a person who has come, who was there that Tuesday on voting day, who brought their ID and then just that the handwriting didn't seem the same. And Lord knows, depending on, you know, what kind of day you're having, if you're in a hurry or you're trying to be careful with regard to how you write your name, it's it's not going to look the same. Well, you know, my handwriting, certainly when I sign something, it may not look the same each time. In fact, I know it does not. But allowing that kind of subjective test to disqualify absentee ballots is obviously a grave concern. And And so to your point that you were just mentioning, BJ, these are folks who decided to vote uh, by absentee ballot for which they are entitled under Georgia law. They complete the form, they send it in, and unbeknownst to them, at the county level, someone is discarding their ballot saying, I don't think that matches what we have in our file. They did not know that their votes were even being discarded. And so this order required that they be notified that we're intending to discard this because someone has looked at this and According to their eyesight, eyesight, it doesn't match. And so that was the issue in, in that instance with that order. You know, the problem comes down to on Election Day, there are people who thought that their votes would count, who were not 
receiving due process or, or notice that their vote was in question. And these orders were very helpful and required that certain things be done to ensure that the voters' rights were protected. You know, Georgia has 159 counties, as you know. And the so, most in the United States. That's right. That's right. And so many election officials and those who are working, uh, it's hard uh, in real time to disseminate the information down at the precinct level so that everyone is singing from the same hymnal, if you will. They're giving the same correct information regarding these orders. And there was tremendous concern on Election Day that there were inconsistent instructions being given, people receiving different treatment. There was concern about another order that was issued, in fact, I believe on November 2nd, and that one dealt with individuals who had been flagged as potential non-citizens under this exact match system, and it required that they actually go and track down, and this is after they have become a naturalized citizen. They have uh, have their naturalization papers, et cetera. They register to vote. They, in many instances, were flagged, and, and the law required that they track down a deputy registrar and to present that information again in order to, to have their vote counted. The order that Judge Ross issued... Uh, Federal in, judge in Northern District of Georgia. That's right. That's right. In late October required that, said that the affected voters did not have to go. The burden was not on them to go and track down the deputy registrar in the county, prove this yet again, but that they could bring their naturalization papers to the polls and show it to a poll manager and to be able to vote a regular ballot. What we're dealing with now is a lot of circumstances across the board, BJ, in which people don't know, one, whether their votes were treated as provisional ballots, in which case they needed to come back. They don't know, for example, we had a lot of issues in some of the counties here in which people were told that they needed to vote a provisional ballot when they should have been allowed to vote a regular ballot. And so there are a lot of questions about that. So we've done a lot of education to get the word out to people that they needed to come back. Exactly. And that word out, you know, I know election day, and I took advantage of you because I have your cell number because I was <laughs> um, I was watching Facebook. I know the arbiter of what's happening in real time in our lives these days. But I literally I was watching Facebook and friends of mine going to the polls and just stepping out. They weren't being allowed to vote. There was a problem with their ballot. They were noticing some major chaos at a, a lot of different polling places. Uh, they would get there and there wouldn't be enough machines. They would get there. The setup w- wasn't helping. And because a large number of people more than had before showed up for this very important election, and we, we need to show up for all of them at this level and even greater than what we had, um, it was creating, I was texting you about one situation and then another that literally I was watching in real time with Gwinnett County, which is part of some of these lawsuits where another lawyer that I know was there and started seeing what you were just talking about, about so many provisional ballots and a lot of people very upset or and not being able to vote or being sent away. Just so much chaos that day, which had you and the other folks at Election Protection, along with um, the other legal groups, ACLU, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights under the law, others, you know, actually in real time trying to contact these 
precincts to, to fix these problems and understand why those types of problems, same day in person voting problems, were just as difficult as the ones that you're talking about from the absentee ballots. Right. Though there were thousands of those issues, as you can imagine, across the state. And we, it, it certainly did keep us very busy. Oh, and on, let me on add one day. thing. Sure. And, you, and you gave it to me and I posted it and it started spreading. I, I wasn't the first one to post it. Don't let me. You secret. helped. You but, helped. But you know, where that night you were, you know, in the next day, there was a My Georgia My Voter page that the state of Georgia has and that you were needing to go and look at that page. It's the first time I've ever done this in my life. Then you click on absentee balloting was the part you clicked, which is, you know, even though I didn't absentee ballot to be able to see whether my vote counted or not. And then it would show up, you know, yes, my vote counted. I posted it. And then underneath, again, my string in Facebook, all things uh, said, you know, there were people saying, oh, my gosh, my vote didn't count. I, you know, I, I didn't know I had a problem. I can't even believe I had a problem. So, that's another issue is, you know, how many voters never in my lifetime have I ever felt compelled or understood to go and check on a website to see whether the vote I went and placed counted. And so many people reading, no, it didn't. Right. I mean, that's a resource that many states have in Georgia. It's the My Voter page of the Secretary of State's website. And so you should be able to go on there, enter in your first initial, last name, address, and it will tell you whether you're active, whether you're pending and affected by this exact match system, et cetera, or tell you whether or not your absentee has been received and or processed. Another thing that happened, BJ, that uh, we learned, at least I, I am told, that the Secretary of State's website, the MVP page, was frozen beginning on the Sunday before the election. And so it was no longer being updated. And so, for example, if you were affected by the exact match system, if you were caught in that and your registration was pending, the system froze as of that Sunday before the Tuesday of the election, and it was not updating anymore. And what we have been told is that the rationale was that it was frozen to protect voter security. But, for example, if I did what I needed to do to clear myself under exact match so that I'm no longer pending, but active, it may not reflect that because the system was no longer being updated whatsoever. If you registered before the registration deadline and the registration had not been processed before that Sunday, you're not going to show up in the system as having registered to vote because it was no longer updated. It was frozen. And so we got so many calls across the state from people who were adamant about the fact that they had registered to vote timely, but that on the website, on the Secretary of State's website, it did not reflect that they even existed, that they had ever registered. And so- And you wonder if that deterred them from going. You know, did I not go because I could tell that I was going to stand in line for hours and find out that supposedly I couldn't vote? I mean- It certainly could. I mean, all these things, whether it's exact match or many of the other issues regarding citizenship challenges or the rejection of absentee ballots or the issue with- whether you registered or not, all of those things create a climate in which voters lose confidence in the system. And it perhaps does dissuade many from participating. Uh, we certainly would urge and hope that people would go out anyway and to try to exercise their right to vote. But it's, it's very discouraging and disheartening to face all those obstacles. 
to be able to vote and to have your vote counted. And what you're saying, having your vote count, that's the big problem right now is, is in fact the vote counting. And one of the issues had been concerned that, again, as we mentioned at the beginning, Brian Kemp, um, the Republican candidate for governor, secretary of state, administers elections and is making decisions about these elections and how votes are going to be tabulated, et cetera. Lawsuits started to be filed. And just last week after the election, a lawsuit occurs, they go to court and counsel on behalf of the state announces there for all of us to hear that Brian Kemp has resigned as secretary of state. Um, the reason he gave from what I read in the media was that he was getting ready to take on his job as governor of Georgia. And so he would remove himself. But the timing was interesting, was it not? to be before a federal court, what would have been the significance before the court that morning um, in the litigation, knowing that it wasn't Brian Kemp now at the helm? Well, you know, BJ, one, I, I was not at that hearing, um, but that certainly has been a complaint by many. And again, you know, we are nonpartisan, but the the appearance and the concerns that were raised by so many citizens about a candidate for office administering the election itself, obviously, is something that we've heard a lot about. Uh, I believe it was on Monday of last week that there was news of this resignation and transition uh, that occurred. But this, of course, is is after uh, the election. And right. so, yes. And Robin Crittenden is now the new uh, Secretary of State of Georgia, and she's got a lot on her shoulders. Now, it, it, it's not, it will be watching the court's and the question is, how quickly can the federal court really make decisions or can the federal court um, put a hold on this final decision to um, announce who, in fact, the winner is? Because the issues now being raised, um, as you mentioned before, the Lawyers Committee of Civil Rights has filed a lawsuit. And then also the Abrams campaign has filed a federal lawsuit um, trying to make sure that the votes and the absentee votes um, and all the issues that we've talked about are actually going to count, you know, that they're right. going to be be put in the totals to determine who is the winner. Because the numbers now, it's a numbers game of whether she has enough votes to either get a recount or the number of votes to just ha have a runoff election. Right. So so there, there are many concerns and, and the focus is on ensuring, BJ, to your point, that every vote that was cast is counted. Those votes that should be counted, eligible voters who uh, registered and who voted properly, that their votes should be counted. And, and so there is a lot of litigation directed at that issue. And again, that is something that should cross party lines. I mean, we should all be able to agree that it's a fundamental part of our democracy, that every vote should count. Now, the election is supposed to be certified under state law. It would be on the Monday following the election. However, today, Veterans be, Day, Veterans Day, so that, that deadline is now tomorrow. Uh, there are lawsuits, So when you're though. listening to this podcast, that would be today because I That's put right. this out on Tuesday. That's right. But, but there are um, a lot of issues regarding requests that the certification not take place until these numerous 
provisional ballots, absentee ballots, et cetera, uh, that should be counted are counted. I'll give you another example. Uh, Fulton County, which is the most populous county in Georgia of the 159, obviously thousands and thousands of voters. There were issues there. That that includes the city of Atlanta? It does. It does. And so there are many uh, issues throughout the county. And, and certainly there are going to be mistakes that are made uh, to err as human, but there are issues that happened that affected many voters who were concerned about polling places, uh, some of which, one of which in particular did not have, that was subject of litigation, did not have the appropriate number of voting machines there. And it had three instead of having eight. And so that was an issue that resulted in tremendous backlog. You also had... I'm going to stop you there right there, because one of the things said in response to that was that the reason that a lot of the machines were not available was because of the litigation where a federal court had said you some of those voting machines had to be preserved and they couldn't be used. That was That's part of what's being said. And, that, and that's a good point. Uh, here, the county has admitted, and the, the name of this location is the Pittman Rec Center, that that issue was not the result of the machines being sequestered. It was an issue of a mistake that was made with how many voters had been assigned to that polling place. And so it was an admitted mistake, and ultimately the additional machines were brought there. So that's what happened. However, when you have that kind of backlog and provisional ballots being handed out to folks to be able to vote, here's the issue. If someone receives a provisional ballot to vote because machines are not working or there's a tremendous backlog or issues in that way, is but those folks are otherwise entitled to vote a regular ballot, how is that provisional ballot going to be treated? Will it be segregated from those that are true provisional ballots for which people need to come back and fix the problem by Friday, for example? That's another issue that happened on two other uh, two other precincts in which students... So, and I'm going to stop you for a minute. Sure, sure. That's daunting to think about the fact that, okay, it's not provisional. There was nothing wrong with that voter's situation. The problem was not enough machines, so they hand them this other ballot. And, of course, they don't realize, I'm assuming, that it is provisional and that they would need to come back within a few days. They may not. I mean, it's hard to know what... A particular poll worker may have told the affected voters at the time. And so there are a lot of questions about what voters were told, what they understood they needed to do. There were students, for example, who were went to precincts and, and they were given provisional ballots or told that they would need to pro- vote a provisional ballot. They ran out of provisional ballots at some locations and you had students who left and others pulling Hours had to be extended because of some of those issues. The the question is, if someone is voting a provisional ballot, but they are otherwise qualified to vote a regular ballot, uh, how do we ensure that the counties treat that provisional ballot as a regular ballot when they need to and as a provisional ballot when appropriate and that the citizen, the elector, the voter has been notified of the distinction of who needs to come back and who does not? Again, a lot of confusion. Elections cannot be perfect, but we had a tremendous number of calls that I personally was aware of at the command center uh, with volunteers about students being affected, voters being affected, uh, voters who were told that they were at the wrong location and that they would not be given a provisional ballot to be able to cast a vote. Uh, There was just a lot of confusion that happened. And so that has remained our concern. 
And this confusion as we look ahead, I think no matter what your party, no matter what your political intent is, we have to be clear with those who are in our legislature, whoever becomes our governor, that we, you know, what we're describing here is something that you would expect to hear in a, what we consider to be a third world country. There, where, you know, the United Nations comes in and supervises an election. We are supposedly a great and strong democracy that has the wealth and the benefits to build grandiose buildings, to have the greatest technology, and yet a function so fundamental to our liberty, our rights in voting, um, is a mess. And beyond just what's happened in the last few years, it sounds like we've been headed this way for a very long time with machines that are outdated, things are not updated across the country. You know, we have machines here in Georgia where it's just purely digital. There is no paper <laughs> that's produced. Other states have another way. We are unique way. in that way. We, we, we are, are unique in that way, unfortunately. And now, you know, paper becomes your best friend because it's still around, and yet that's cumbersome and expensive. And we have great minds who could handle just the simplistic and essential requirement of having a vote count. And that's not happened. Well, far too often, there are legitimate questions about whether that has happened. And we know, in fact, that there are thousands of voters for which that has not happened, and it should have. There are issues regarding voters who were purged through list maintenance practices that removed thousands and thousands, over 670,000 voters in 2017 alone a tremendous ups, uptick in the number of voters who are affected and removed through list maintenance practices. And again, there are legitimate bases for that, but there are concerns about that. There are concerns about the absentee ballot rejection process and, and the exact match process, which are unequivocally dramatically more impactful in removing minority voters from the rolls than others. And so the question becomes, are we, are these measures being implemented to decide who will get to vote in elections. And uh, it is our position, again, the Lawyers Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, which heads up the Election Protection Initiative, is that these measures, so many of these measures, disproportionately disenfranchise uh, minority communities. And, 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 and Whether prevent- black, Hispanic, yes. any immigrant community that you want to come up with. Right, um, right. right. And that one should not targeted. be right. One should not be able to decide who gets to vote in in any election in that way. That you are uh, implementing policies that have an unequivocal, disparate impact. That's the issue. I know that we talked about it last time, but uh, there are grave concerns about the effect of these kinds of processes on our democracy and confidence in the system, and uh, in dis- disenfranchisement. Unfortunately, it's. Uh, a real problem. And it's unfortunate that Georgia has become uh, really in the limelight for this very negative issue. The, and this the, concern. Country, the country is watching. Right. Um, and there just becomes these singular moments or experiences that bring up ugly truths that have to be dealt with. Yes. 
And we're at one of those right now. Unfortunately, and we will we be are. staying close attention. Harold, thank you so much for joining me. And with every episode of Law Talk with BJ, I choose a tea. And this one, well, we're having rose tea. And it's because it is calming and stress reducing. And I can't think of any time more that um, I have been more stressed out over an election and definitely not calm. Um, I know election day, you know, like I said, I was blowing up your phone and other people. So I'm like, I did, like you could not believe what was happening. Um, so we're going to hope this tea at least gets us through the morning and then hope and watch um, what happens in the court system. And as lawyers, it's another reminder to all citizenry that there is a brilliance to having a check and balance system and having fair and impartial jurists deciding issues of such critical matter to hold up what are the most important parts of our Constitution and fairness and voice for all American citizens. So um, I sound grave. I sound... Um, this is one of these epic moments in our lives to watch and see and learn and remind ourselves to be involved. We should all agree that the system has to be fair for everyone. Thank you, Harold. Thank you. This podcast is not to be construed as legal advice. With any legal issue, you should reach out to a professional attorney that practices law in the state and area of law for which you need information or consultation. Law Talk with BJ does not establish an attorney-client relationship, which is only formed when you have hired an attorney and signed an engagement agreement or contract. It's Law Talk with BJ Music Theme, written and produced by Atlanta Audible. This podcast copyright 2018, BJ Bernstein Esquire. Bernstein Esquire.